welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guests today are Dr. Alona Poldy and Dr. Matt Letterman. Dr. Poldy is a physician specializing in acupuncture and oriental and family medicine, and Dr. Letterman is an internal medicine physician and certified trainer of nonviolent communication. They served as vice presidents at Whole Foods, helping the company launch its medical and wellness programs. They've recently co-founded their new venture, We Heal, and have just released their new book, Wellness to Wonderful. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, Matt and Alona, welcome back to the show. I appreciate it. And just a brief introduction, I'll let you finish introducing yourselves. Um, Alona is a family practitioner, also certified in acupuncture and oriental medicine. As she pointed out last podcast, she actually started in that world and went into medicine. And then Matt is an internist who has been working in nonviolent communication for a long period of time, also um, a lot on diet. They both were involved in authoring a book called Forks Over Knives, which is a very well-known book. They work as medical directors for Whole Foods, and they have been pursuing health and wellness for a long time. And so they have a new project called um, We Heal Health, which is a platform to bring the program into play. They also just are releasing a book called um, From Wellness, I'm sorry, it's Wellness to Wonderful. And so welcome to the show and your efforts of trying to get health into the real world in a practical way is really quite remarkable and admirable. So thank you. Thank you so thank much, you, David. So um, along we talked about the last podcast, I think it's really critical in general that there's still, as you know, a huge, um, I use the word arrogance in Western medicine that this Eastern medicine stuff is just not, doesn't make any sense. And I pointed out multiple times and why I quit my practice is that most of what we do in Western medicine is not based on any data. We have no data hardly for what we do. So we've missed the idea that disease is, and this is well-documented that chronic stress causes shorter lifespans and multiple disease states, mental and physical. So I learned that in medical school a long time ago but, you know, nobody really told me why. So what we all know is that by learning to regulate your body's chemistry from an ongoing, we call threat physiology or fight or flight into safety, the body actually heals. So we talked in the last program, sort of the background of what you do. So um, if you could just pretend I'm a patient and what I would do to access your service, but what do those services look like? Why would I do this? What does it look like? What would be my expected outcome? What time, how much time would it take to do it? So anyway, um, just curious, I'm now the patient and you are now my mentors. Okay. Um, I think the first thing that I would share is um, our shift, right? Our The way we practice is a little bit different. Conventional medicine and one of the things that um, turned me away from a conventional medical practices were limited and, and focused on managing 
symptoms, not really healing and allowing people to come back to that state of thriving. So we talked in our last episode of we managed to get you back to baseline, but baseline right now is sick and sad and depressed and isolated. Um, and one of our goals at We Heal is to take you from that illness past wellness, which has now become defined as this baseline, to a state of wonderful. And we start, we have um, the essence of We Heal is the model in which we use. And the framework is the nine pillars of our practice. We start with a self and it really involves self-connection. That is the core. It's coming back to who am I? What do I want in this life? And then how do I get the support to get there? Um, and from the self, we have what is more commonly connected to uh, optimal health, which is our internal world. How do we take control of our sleep and our nutrition and um, our activity um, and play, which we put in there as well, which is a really important component to, to elicit and, and um, promote those senses of safety. But that internal world and optimizing that internal world isn't enough because we don't exist isolated in the world. So the other step is connection and it's connection to our external world. Do you want to share that part? Yeah, so it's connection to um, family and friends, right? And deep connection, the ability to share authentically uh, in a way that brings you closer together. A lot of people worry about, they suppress what's going on inside of them because they don't want to get into fights or conflicts or push people away. So we show you how to share authentically so that you can connect with others and they stay, you get closer as a result. Then there's work. And that's not just, you know, working, you get, you know, put pay the bills. It's about meaning and purpose, right? And how are you contributing to society in a way that's meaningful and purposeful? And then you go to spirituality and connecting to something greater than yourself, right? There's something bigger than just taking care of yourself. We're all, we're all connected. There's a level of interdependence and we can connect to that in many different ways, but that need around spirituality. And then the last is the natural world, connection to all other life on this planet and how we relate to each other and support the needs of each other. And when you do that, all nine of those pillars and you, you start to tend to them and you keep them in balance, that's when you start heading towards life is wonderful. You don't have to have them all in balance to experience that state of life is wonderful. Just knowing about them and heading towards meeting needs in a way that supports all of them will give you that state of life is wonderful. Well, you bring up a tremendous number of points here, but I have put out a, a new set of concepts, which you may not have seen yet, which reflects what you're doing. It's I call it the sequence of healing with the letter C. And just use a metaphor of a tree with the soil representing your past. And the first C is connection and then confidence, and then creativity at the top. And so there's, again, the New York Times yesterday had an article about that. And Freud said this hundreds, you know, a couple hundred years ago, is that the essence of good mental health is connecting with who you are, just connection, connection, connection. And what got me in deep trouble um, was that I was connected to this construct or facade I called it David Hanscom, based on ideals and accomplishments and all sorts of stuff, but it wasn't connected to me. And being connected means 
connected for everything, good, the bad, everything. And the question is not to cover up and analyze it and fix it, just learning to be with it. But the question being, what can I learn from it? Yes. So the trunk is the confidence we take the tools to process this. Then the real healing occurs. What I'm excited to hear you say, and I've said this for a long time, is that the healing occurs as you move away from your pain circuits and away from fight or flight. So, you know, play, good food, good wine, good friends, spiritual journey. Once you cannot have to fight off anger and anxiety all the time, you then can thrive into this new place. And so the first thing I have to sort of stop on for a second, talk about self-connection, um, that's big. Because again, I get connected to my story of who David Hanscom was. And so it takes a long, lot of energy building that story, maintaining it. We call it self-esteem, which I think you both know, I think is a deadly term. So connecting to every aspect of who you are, I think is really critical. But it's not very easy because a lot of it's painful and we don't like pain. Right. So I'm curious if from the beginning, how do you start that process of connect? Well, first of all, I didn't realize it wasn't connected. <laughs> that was part of the problem. So you say the word connecting, people go, I'm connected. What do you mean? But I can tell you, I had to have my ego just blown apart before I understood that I wasn't connected to anything. And I thought I was connected to my patients, but I actually wasn't. I thought I was. I thought I was connected to myself, but I wasn't. So I guess my, I have a really curious question about this first word of connection is, is, is sort of a big one. Yeah, that's where connection is, is really big for us too. Connection is not just a nice to have. In fact, we have a whole section of the book that talks about connection is essential for physical health, right? It's not, you know, it's not just a nice to have talk nice, right? And we talked about studies around empathic doctors and their patients and the changes in the physical health of their patients when you had high empath doctors comparing them to low empath doctors. So how the doctor showed up and connected with the patients affected the physical health of the patients. Right. The level of 29% lower hemoglobin A1Cs, 25% lower LDL cholesterols, 40% less odds of acute metabolic complications in diabetics. I mean, just like it's non, it's non-negotiable. Connection is essential. So then the question is, how do you connect? And that's where um, I spent four years getting certified in nonviolent communication, which was by far harder than medical school for me, right? And it was it, the, that's one of the foundations of creating connection. And it's not that you are born connecting or not, or born warm or compassionate or not. It's that you can cultivate these skills with the right tools and support. So what we do at, at WEHEAL is support build the awareness, which you said, that's first step. Can I become aware? And then two, what do I do if I want to start growing? And it's a lifelong journey. It's not a pill that you swallow and you're done. And, and the pain is actually not the unpleasant feelings. The pain is either being disconnected from the unpleasant feelings or holding those feelings alone. And at We Heal, we support connecting to the feelings and we make a space where you don't have to hold them alone anymore through Group through group sessions, working with a, a variety of different health mentors, doctors that are trained in nonviolent communication, and it becomes a beautiful healing experience, as David, you would probably imagine, and would probably like the the norm to be. And I think David, you hit on something that I think stimulates a tremendous amount of pain for people, and maybe and is something that we disconnect from, which is we are. Um, we create facades 
of our life, of who we are. And by not connecting with our authenticity, there is a deep pain. And there's a huge, um, you know, from suppressing and repressing and numbing who we actually are. It's one of the biggest messages of danger. I can't show up as I am. So I need to show up with this facade that takes an amazing amount of energy to support. You hit that right on the head. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw this. I just put this up two days ago. It's called have you heard me use a term called ruts, repetitive, unpleasant thoughts? I've heard you say it, yeah. Okay, so so we develop these stories of our lives based on well, who we want to be. We spend a lot of time mentally trying to hold this facade up. And it's one of the driving forces behind these repetitive, unpleasant thoughts, which torture almost everybody to some degree. I had a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder where they become just horribly vivid, almost visual, that just torture you. But I talked to lots of the people that everybody has some degree of these, some people way more than others. And the mental health world looks at this as unsolvable. And it's not true, but they're not acknowledging the physiology. So if you take and just work on thoughts and talk therapy, what you're talking about, you're connecting to everything. You're connected to how you feel. And what that feels like, what that looks like, and what it shows up like. So it's it's hard, but it's not. And like Alona just said, it's a lot harder to stay connected to who you are, as as opposed to spending all this energy with building self esteem and building a, building a story about your life. And so the the trunk of the model I put together, the sequence of healing, is connection, confidence, and creativity. The trunk is allow is developing the tools to allow yourself to be with those everything good and bad and so confidence comes from being really grounded in who you are and that's where i think we're very much on the same journey getting people just connected to who they are and then you use expressive writing as part of your process correct yes yeah you really i mean we we link to your expressive writing diary and your sheet that you give out to everybody i mean it's so important and you turned me on to the Penny Baker's work and how, you know, it's so powerful. Well, Dr. Penny Baker, uh, and this is going on with Alona just said, we inter- he was on our Wednesday group meeting a few months ago and he just talked to us. It wasn't a lecture, it was pretty profound. And his first paper was published in 1986. And he said, we asked him why this worked and he didn't really know. He found it out by accident. But he thinks it has to do with releasing secrets that everybody has secrets, don't need to confess them to anybody, but just by getting them on a piece of paper just releases them. And the effects on health are profound. I mean, it helps cardiac disease, arthritic changes, school function, mood, the, it decreases viral load, it increases, it decreases the time to wound healing, it decreases infection rate. So the effects of that simple tool of expressive writing, because now you've released your thoughts it allows you, I think, to connect to who you are. Um, so, and I, be- and I believe that when you suppress thoughts, you're telling your body that those are dangerous. Right. So you're you're basically saying, I gotta. There's threat physiology just from suppressing anything, because that is by you know inherently going to be seen as dangerous. That's why you're right. suppressing it. So you wrote another um, point up is that um, <clears throat> so you have your connection to yourself, every bit of it. And then you have your um, connection to the external world, 
And do you want to comment on that a bit? Comment on the the external the, about the importance of connecting to the external world. Right. We you resource your body by focusing on the internal world. So when you're resourced and you have the energy and the 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 goodwill and the desire now to be able to connect to the external world. And that's really when the joy becomes starts flowing. Right. So when I'm able to it, you can't do this in isolation. You can't be life can't be wonderful in isolation. And that's where the wellness, you know, where we talk about wellness to wonderful. A lot of the, you know, people that are, I was, I was this guy, right? I exercised the right amount, high intensity. I, you know, did the stretching. I did the lifting. I did the eating perfectly. Like my, my blood pressure was great. You know, all the well, I drank all the water I was supposed to, right? All the wellness markers were perfect, but life was far from wonderful. And to me, that was the piece is that we got to get to the wonderful. And that required self-connection. And that required me going beyond my three feelings when I started, which was good, bad, and angry, right? And now saying, oh, wait, there's a whole range, rainbow of feelings. And being able to share those in a way that brought me closer to Alona and the kids, figuring out, you know, saying, hey, this work is not really what's providing the meaning and purpose. Hey, this is the, how can I connect to my family more deeply? Even though at first I thought I was connected, I actually wasn't because there was so much I was suppressing. And there was this state of artificial harmony we talk about, right? It's not real harmony, it's artificial because you're suppressing authenticity. So once you start working on that stuff, that's when life starts getting better. And these other chronic issues started improving. So it was a win-win. So I think it's, this sounds backwards, but um, it, it, this isn't actually work in a way, you're allowing things to happen. You're allowing connections to occur. I mean, in a way you're trying to just get out of your own way of just connecting what actually is and being open. Um, I just had a metaphor I'd like to run by you too, just see what you think. So I was watching um, Bobby McFerrin um, concert a couple of days ago here in Oakland and they did improv. And I did a couple months of improv, just trying to improve my public speaking, et cetera. And I sort of failed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what I learned is that I would, I thought I was trying to be funny and be a smart aleck and Im improv is the opposite. So the improv is listen, listen, listen. And if you're thinking about your next line, you're not listening. And so the number one thing in improv is to listen. But the second thing is actually make your partner look good. In other words, if you're trying to outdo your partner, everything falls apart. So it was incredible, the music they were playing, just listening to each other and just letting it be. And so think if we were taught, I mean, and of course, with improv as flexible as can be and life is flexible, we try to create rigidity on top of it. So think what the world will be like of actually learning improv in school, living life on improv as a stress. Yeah. I mean, the concepts are beautiful, I, right? Yeah. I love it. I love that. That concept exists a little bit differently, but it exists. The, the similarity in um, nonviolent communication is that need-based consciousness where it's, a, it's owning, my, it's naming my needs and your needs, putting them all on the table so that we're all seen and heard before we even ever move to strategy. You right. know, and and so being able to be in that interdependent space 
is is joyful, is thriving. And the, and the presence, being present. Right. NBC is very much around being present, which is what I'm hearing with improv. You're, right. you're connecting to what's alive in the other person in the moment. You're not thinking about what you're going to do or how you're going to win or how you're going to beat out the other person. And that is that is the connection. And I'm hearing it for improv to be successful. You have to be attuned and connected in that mm-hmm. in that way. And to me, that if that's your focus, and it took me a while, right? Some of my MVC mentors, nonviolent communication mentors, would say, Matt, trust the connection. Don't come with all of these strategies of what to do and had an agenda where you got to get people to agree to that agenda. Trust that if you care about the other person, they care about you, all of a sudden something magical is going to happen. And it always always ends up that way. The work is actually initially getting out of our old habits. And this gets easier over time, not harder, right? Which is a good sign, right? Because, you know, willpower dieting gets harder over time. That's probably not the way to do it, right? This gets easier over time. Well, I mean, it's impossible to do this with willpower. I mean, your unconscious brain is about a million times stronger than your conscious brain. So it's more like a tugboat trying to change, you know, turn a large ship. You just keep sort of persistence and nudging things along. So um, I also noticed early on years ago, before I knew about, of course, with social connection, you have this hormone called oxytocin, which is highly inflammatory. And we know one of the biggest factors that fires up inflammatory markers, this is Steve Cole out of UCLA, shows that people that are socially isolated end up with massively high inflammatory markers. And 53% of Americans are socially isolated the impact of social isolation on your health is equivalent to smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. So it's a pretty big deal. So I'll go back though to the flexibility versus rigidity. We sort of control ourselves a lot of times by rigidity. And I'll never forget a book by Daniel Kahneman about thinking fast and slow. His point that, for instance, with diet, can be very obviously a major factor in how you live but the rigidity around a diet can counteract the benefits because you become stressed out about the diet. And I'm going to ask a lot of this question because Matt, by the way, just to let you know, Matt, I think you told me you reviewed something like 17,000 papers on diet when you wrote this book, Forks Over Knives. But we definitely, we accumulated thousands and thousands of papers uh, for that book, yeah. So anyway, um, so Lori, um as with my wife, I sense that you've been a significant part of breaking into the, I'll use, a, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to say it negatively, but men and I move pretty fast and don't know how to slow down and be aware as much as we could be. Because, I mean, busyness blocks awareness. So any comments, idea of flexibility, rigidity, openness, awareness, some of your thoughts on I won't, you don't have to comment on Matt specifically, but just watching Matt go through a process, which I said is pretty profound. You know, I can't say that I'm not, uh, I, I don't find myself in those situations as well. So I can't speak only about Matt in this situation in authenticity, but I do notice that intensity, you know, that focus that we have to do, 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 and um, that constant movement, you know, where we're really mistaking motion for progress. And yeah, I love that phrase too. That's a, that's a, that's a signature phrase. Yes. And it's very true. We mistake motion, motion for progress. For progress. Right. I love it. 
because we're just, we're constantly busy, constantly doing, constantly distracting ourselves. And, and that intensity, it's not healthy. And no matter what we do, that rigidity right. and that intensity, whether it's diet or, you know, even if I have to get my eight hours of sleep, it's 10 o'clock, I have to go to bed right now. I mean, there's no way that our body can signal safety and get into a mode of restful sleep. Um, Or I have to exercise, I must do it right now. And if I don't, you know, that perseveration, that is not, that's completely the opposite of the health and wellness and wonderful that we're aiming for. And people people will ask us and they'll say, tell me exactly what to do. What's the regimen? (laughs) And sometimes to get them over the hump, you give them the directive, but you know, when you're asking that question, you're not self-connected yet. And self-connection, and if you can connect to yourself, you can learn to discern and your body will tell you exactly what you need to do. As long as you put all of this health promoting stuff around it, it can pick pretty, pretty accurately. So um, this is great stuff. I've got about three or four quotable quotes I'm going to hold on to from both of you. Really interesting. So I just want to summarize my perspective and let you finish off here. So I just want to make sure we help uh, people understand how to, um, just let us know how to access your services. Yeah, so if they go to weheal, W-E-H-E-A-L dot health, so weheal.health, they can get to our site, access our services. And then they, the book was the idea of the book, Wellness to Wonderful, was to put together our program so that people could do it themselves if they read the book. And if they want support, they can then go come to us but the book really gets them started and summarizes a lot of what we would have to do in a session anyway. So you get a jump start. Okay. And then my concept, and I'm always impressed when I talk to you or Howard Jr. or Steve Portis, that we're sort of have different versions of getting to the same place. That's connecting, connecting, connecting. And then I use it, I use the term becoming a professional at living your life, which means you process adversity more efficiently. And nurture joy more effectively, but they're two separate skill sets. You can't nurture joy if you're fighting off anxiety and anger. So again, that takes tools to do that, which it sounds like you present in droves in your book. And then the real healing occurs, and Alona, you said this in a really interesting way because neuroplasticity is a big deal. Your brain physically changes structure by the second. And if you're trying to fix the pain, you're actually reinforcing the circuits. And what you're doing is actually acknowledging the pain, connecting with it, and then moving away from it. But you can't move away. You can't move away from it until you connected with it. So you have to be. You have to know where you're going from to and where you want to go. And so um, that's that's a huge deal. I just a little little website post. It hit me hard when I can watch this Bobby McFerrin concert. But you know, we spend our lives trying to fight darkness. And we, you know, problem solve, problem solve, problem solve. That's what we're geared to do. We're geared to survive. We're geared to solve problems. But the question is, why not, why not just turn on the light? Yes. It's a lot easier. And so I feel what you're describing very strongly is that process. Okay, we know there's darkness. We got to deal with it. But let's just create a great life. And and what people are taught to think is when they see a dark room. Who's to blame for the dark room, right? What's wrong with the dark room? Why is the dark room happening to me? Versus, oh, I'd really love some light. 
And, and here's what we can do to try and bring some light into this room. Right. right? You see the difference in how we, those two paradigms? Right. Me is this, in is, that is, choice, David, is in a world of infinite possibilities, why not make ours wonderful? Right. Why not choose wonderful? Except if you're blaming everybody and everything for your pain, <laughs> you can't exactly move away from that. And so, right. no, we're so it's interesting. I'll just finish up here. But, you know, if we were taught this in first grade onward, our planet would be different. Yes. If we're taught how do you thrive right from the beginning, so how do you solve problems, how do you solve problems, how do you compete with more grades, et cetera, learning how to thrive could be started at a very early age and it changes everything. Yes. So um, I'm we excited. Love to op- we, I told my kids want us to open up a school <laughs> where we do this. Exactly. Seriously, they're like, hey, right. I said, if we win the lottery, we'll open up a school. So they keep asking if we won the lottery yet. <laughs> well, we, we, should we, we should talk about this because we actually started a nonprofit in two, about 10 years ago to bring this into the school system. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to pursue it. But no, teachers are stressed, students are stressed, parents are stressed. And so this is, and the thing is, I think what drives us all harder than it should is that this is so solvable. Right. This is a yeah. solvable problem. And on a public health health scale, it's solvable. It's easier than vaccinating the population. I mean, there's no resources, no vaccines, no manufacturing. These are concepts that are right there, requires minimal resources. And like you pointed out, a lot of your process as well as mine is very self-directed. It's always better with coaching, but you don't have to have the coaching just learning the concepts. And by definition, also, each person has to solve their own problems. We can't do it for them. So you're providing a really nice platform, very, um, again, we could talk about this for days, honestly, but really great stuff. Um, Matt Letterman, Alona Poli, extremely, um, a lot of awareness about what health looks like and actually how to achieve it. So um, thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you for, thank having, you for us. having us. Thank you for your support, oh. David. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Alona Poldi and Dr. Matt Letterman, for being on the show today and sharing their nine pillars for living healthier, longer, and with greater joy. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.